0: Pastor Matthew Steinfeld. We're very glad that you're here with us if you're a visitor, and so please feel welcome here. If you would, please stand with me as we sing our first hymn, 375, Take My Life and Let It Be. Christ. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. A responsive reading you can find in the middle page of your insert here. Psalm 98, 1-6. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. For His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Our second hymn this morning, 681. I love to tell this story. Hymn 681.
1: scripture reading is from Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child, and the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading is from Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister in Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Since most of you are standing, I guess we could all stand for the gospel reading. Luke 21. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Can be seated. The Colossian church, if you've read the letter to the Colossians, you know that they're struggling. They're struggling with a mindset, they're struggling with what they believe. But it's not necessarily related to what they believe. Because Paul tells us that they believe in the gospel. But there's other things on top of the gospel that cause them to struggle. And their source of struggle is how they live, how they live out their life based on what they believe. The text of Colossians. Is written to the church in Colossae, but also also Laodicea and Hierapolis and the Lyca Valley. And it's hard to say what exactly it is that's causing them this struggle based off the context of the letter, but some say it's Gnosticism, some religious movement that's based on hidden knowledge from God. Some say it's Judaism. But from the context of the letter, we'll see that maybe their troubles, the things that they're trusting in, the things that they put their hope in is not too dissimilar from maybe the things that cause us to struggle. Paul starts in verse 3. If you want to follow along, you can, we'll be in the second reading. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Sometimes Paul starts off letters positively and then moves into the things that he wishes to communicate, which is often what is not so positive for them. But he thanks God because he says that they have a faith in Christ. And if we, if we read throughout this letter, we know that the faith is somewhat basic. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a young faith, a not, not a full understanding of what it actually means. But we see that they have love for all of each other, the, the, the saints, he calls it, perhaps in words and deeds. Faith in verse 5, the faith and the hope that spring up from the hope stored in heaven for you. It's easy to gloss over verses like this and, and say, yeah, that just sounds like nice Christian, Christian language. But he's saying that their faith in the gospel is the source of how they should live. And what they believe about the gospel is the source of how they're living. Because you see, as we'll see, they're not fully understanding what that is. That the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the faith in him for redemption and the forgiveness of sins should be, is the power that causes one to love and care and to live a life that is in accordance with Jesus. So he says the faith and the hope that spring up from this expectation of what's in heaven for them, that waits them. And he says, you heard this in the word of truth, the gospel. You heard, verse 6, and understood the grace of God and the truth. In other words, they understood the truth about God through the message of Jesus, through the ministry of Jesus. Now that's, that's wonderful, and that is the basis for why Paul writes them. But he has a prayer, and it starts in verse 9. And it's something about what he sees they're lacking, what he wants for them. And that causes me to think about our church. Our small church that some people have been Christians for a while. Some people are very early in their faith and some may be on the fence about what they believe. But in verse nine, he says, for this reason, because I've heard about your faith, because we know that you are, you claim belief in Christ. Paul feels the obligation to write them. He doesn't know them. There's parts in this letter that suggest that Paul's never met most of this church. Yet his concern for them and what he's heard through his co-workers motivates him to write. Let's look at the prayer for, Paul's prayer for the church in Pelosi. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That you be filled with the knowledge of His will. Do you know God's will for you? Do you know God's will for you? You see... They believe in the fact that Christ died for their sins and that they're forgiven. They believe that there is mercy and grace from God through Jesus. But their lack of understanding, which Paul calls spiritual wisdom and understanding, or knowledge of His will, has caused them to live in ways that are based on tradition and power struggles and rules and regulation, philosophy, visions. That's why some people think that it's either a Jewish influence or a Gnostic influence because throughout the book, throughout the letter, he's referring to these hidden mysteries that clearly they believe, these things that make them feel elite compared to each other. That some person practices this religious thing and that makes them feel good about themselves and so they look down on someone else. Someone follows this rule or someone says, I see I'm more spiritual and I'm more philosophical than you. And so I'm wiser than you. And so I'm superior to you. And yet they all claim Christ. And Paul is saying there is a knowledge of God's will that is lacking here. That you, even not just the the Colossians and the letter, but you and I May have faith, but we may be misguided about what we think God's will for us is. What do you think that is? Maybe another good question would be, what is your will for you? And how does that relate to the gospel? So he says, we pray that you would have knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not for the sake of knowledge, but so that, verse 10, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Please allow me to continue. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you have great endurance and patience. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people and the kingdom of light. That is such a loaded sentence and it would take all of my life to explain that. But permit me to speak about a couple things in here that I think is terrifically important for us. He says to lead the the purpose of spiritual wisdom and understanding is for a purpose. It's to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. Now this passage in the NIV, it's translated to please Him in every way. And I don't feel comfortable with that for grammatical reasons. I think it's more something like for every willingness to please Because as we'll see in the letter, that it's not about pleasing God. And I know that sounds sacrilegious, but we don't live in a certain way as Christians in order to please God. And as if we're earning something from Him. As if we're following our rules and our discipline in hopes that He accepts it but rather it's living out a life that's worthy of what Christ has done for us already. And that is completely different. And that comes from spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of what God's will is for you. Because what God's knowledge and will for you is that you bear fruit because of Christ, because of what Christ has done. That you live out what Christ has done already. And he says this, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, that as we live in a way that is so contrary to the world, that the the world's knowledge is based on self-preservation, superiority, the rat race, the American dream, You work as hard as you can and you make as much money as you can in order to improve and to show yourself to a world that ultimately doesn't care about you. And you don't care about the world, but it's really important that we show that we're superior. That's the essence of social media. To impress people with things we don't need to people we don't like. But there's another way because of the grace that one has received in Christ, to live that out in a way that is so counterintuitive that often leads to persecution, loss of wealth, loss of health. It comes from a place that is sacrificial, that is similar to the life of Christ himself that to be in that position increases our knowledge of what God is like and what His will is for us. But notice that it's not just discipline. It's not just we must do this because of Christ. But he says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. It's easy sometimes to think, that the Christian faith is is just kind of slumping back and saying, oh, God will protect me, and it's very passive, and I'm just going to love people who abuse me. But Paul is speaking about an incredible strength that leads to endurance and patience. It's an incredible power, and it's motivated by something, not obligation, but the knowledge that one is strengthened through what God has done. That it's actually the power through you from God that accomplishes this. You see, the problem in Colossians is that people were proud about how they behaved, about their discipline, about the things they practiced, their good works. Maybe they gave money. Maybe they gave their, their energy or their time. But the source of that is often based on the human perspective. See, people fail. I fail every day. You fail every day. We're broken people. And some days we don't want to do good work, no matter how moral we think we are. Paul's talking about something completely different. He's saying Christ's love for people is what flows through us, and it's given to us through the Spirit. And that, as we give and as we live in a life, live a life that is in the Spirit, we grow in our knowledge of God. It changes our will. It changes our perspective from that of the world to that of God's. It's not based on our power, and that leads to endurance, patience, joy, giving thanks. Do you have joy in your life? Are you patient? Are you grateful? I'm afraid that so many of us, especially me, often aren't joy-filled, are often complaining and quick to say, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do that. I'll follow God, but I don't wanna do that. I'll, be, I'll give money, but I don't want to give money that causes me to struggle myself. I'll have joy if this happens in my life. It's based on circumstances. But he's talking about a joy that is life-giving, that's eternal, that causes us to be grateful to the Father, to Jesus, despite our circumstances, despite what we deal with in our daily lives. That's something that can never be taken away. You see that it causes us to endure. It causes us to have patience. Do you have that? And if you don't have that, I ask you, what is it that is so great that you're depending on? If you don't have joy and if you don't have patience, what is it that's powering your life? Because it's not working. I say that not for you to feel guilty because I speak to myself in the same way. It should cause us to return to the gospel. To remember that that, that failure of the uh, the way we live and the way we think that's often selfish is forgiven. And there's great power in that. It's great motivation says in verse 12, He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of saints and life. The inheritance of the saints and light. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance. What is this inheritance? It's, it's, it's everything that we try to gain in this world, but infinitely better. And it awaits for us hot based on our ability to endure or our patience or our ability to please God to Christ it's beyond anything we could imagine and yet so often I am pleased just to earn materialistic things or the, the approval of other people which really mean nothing compared to this Giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light, The kingdom that's to come. Verse 13 says that he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know that dominion of darkness that he's talking about is the one that we're living in right now. And yet his salvation brings us and puts us into the kingdom of his son that exists now but will be in full in the future. In whom we have redemption. You know to redeem something is to bring it back from a a state that it's in into a previous state. Our faith, our belief in Christ, our worship in this building is based on our gratitude for what Christ has done. He's redeemed you. Do you know what that means? It means that he's changed you. Christ, Christianity, and faith is about life change. It's about transformation, which means that if you don't have joy, If you don't have peace, if you don't have patience or endurance, there's always the chance for change. There's always the chance to be redeemed and transformed through the love of Christ. That comes from forgiveness. It's something that we could never earn. And that forgiveness, that infinite forgiveness the forgiveness that I am so aware of every time that I fall short of even my own expectations. It should lead to thankfulness, not fear that God won't accept us, not fear that we're not living up to our dreams or our parents' expectations or our spouses or whatever the world is telling us that we ought to be. There's incredible grace through Christ every day and that can lead to you living in the power of Christ in a way that isn't aligned with God's will. That's God's will for you. That's what God's will for me is. One of the most obvious ways to know that we are not walking with God is if we're not walking with people very easy for us to say, well, I'm right with God. I have that perspective. I live my faith out privately, and that's good enough for me. It's not good enough for Paul. It's not good enough for Jesus, and it's not good enough for God. The incredible way that we learn forgiveness and grace is by living with people this group of people is probably as diverse as we could think of if we got to know each other really well. And it's the differences, the fact that some of us aren't on the same page in, return, in, in regards to the gospel. Some of us are not from the same country. Some of us do not have the same occupation or the same perspective about God or about life or about culture. This is an international church after all. And yet it is in the midst of that chaos and confusion oftentimes that brings about the awareness of the need for forgiveness, not only in the other person, but in ourselves. The patience that we have, the endurance from God, because we've received that from him as individuals, pushes and motivates us and empowers us to do that with each other. Who in the world is speaking like that? Because you don't hear I don't hear it on the streets. There's more pain and there's more division than ever it seems like on television and on the news. This is about redemption. All of us need it. All of us have been offered it. There is grace for you today. But Paul is saying, despite the faith in God, despite belief and trust in the gospel, it should lead to a life that lives out the life of Christ, which is sacrificial for the other person. And that God's will for you, as this grows, as this is developed, as you fail, as you smell someone's breath and sense their wrongdoing against you, It teaches you the ability to think and to live like God, which is always based in love and mercy. You see, the the Colossians, they often, throughout this letter, Paul addresses their traditions and their obsession with power and authority and rules and regulation and philosophy and their visions of of mystical pseudo-religious experiences. Paul's talking about compassion, kindness, gentleness patience, forgiveness, and love. One is totally self-focused and the other set is outwardly focused. And it's always based on what God has done through Christ. That's our motivation. That's our power. That's God's will for us. What's your will for you? What do you want for you? Is it to gain something? Is it to become something? What's the motivation of it? Where does it come from? Does it come from insecurity? Does it come from the the arrogance of wanting to prove to someone else that you are something? Or does it come from joy? Does it come from gratitude? Does it come from thankfulness? More often than not, I have to check myself. So many times throughout the day, I have to stop. Sometimes it comes from me, sometimes it comes from God, sometimes it comes from my wife when she's telling me that I'm doing things or saying things in a way that, that is not good. But instead of being, oh, I failed, I can go back to the source. I can go back to the source of what Makes me adequate before God. And that brings a great amount of contentment and joy. And the power that comes from God gives me patience and endurance that allows me not to base my life on philosophy or regulations or rules, but on love and gentleness and compassion for other people, which is totally against my nature. Do you know what God's will for you is? It's available today. And as we grow together in spiritual wisdom and understanding, we can come to a better knowledge of His will. And it's always based on the gospel. If that doesn't make any sense to you, please come talk to me afterwards. cause Lord knows that there's plenty of events in my life that, that have caused me to feel an incredible amount of pain that, that I've been set free from. And I can tell you that being here and in, in, in leading these worship services has been an incredible eye-opening experience to how much I need to grow in grace towards other people. And that the more problems I see in other people, when we meet, when we talk, and pastoral care takes place, the more I'm aware of my needs. That's God's will in my life, growing and my awareness I pray that we would all learn that together. Typically, we take a few moments after this sermon, a time of silence for reflection and prayer. And I like to say that this isn't for us to dwell on how we've fallen short. That's obvious. Whether you admit it or not, we all fall short. Take this time to reflect on what Christ has done for you and how he can change your life. How you can be transformed from maybe a person that is bitter or angry or anxious to someone who's full of joy and contentment. To where other people around you are saying, where does that come from? You seem like you've changed. Take some time to reflect on what Christ has done for you and the implications of what that means. Maybe 30 or 40 seconds and then we'll we'll stand and recite the Apostles' Creed. If you would, stand with me, please, as we recite the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, Was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you haven't forsaken us and that we can continue to grow in our knowledge of you. And we pray that you would give us the power to live like Christ. You have given us the power to live like Christ. We pray that we would live in the Spirit and remember that power. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray that you would use us in Lithuania and Vilnius to live in a way that's honoring to you and that would be a reflection of what you're doing in this world. We pray that people would come to see the grace and the mercy of Jesus, to come to a trusting faith in the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We'll close our prayer with the Lord's Prayer, which is written on our sheet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, Power, and glory, forever and ever, Amen. Our last hymn is number 267. Hallelujah, sing to Jesus. Hymn 267. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts To which indeed you were called in one body And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs With thankfulness in your hearts to God And whatever you do in word or deed Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Giving thanks through him to God the Father Amen Go in peace